Hello, everyone. Do you love to invest in social and environmental change? Well, you are in a good place. My name is Servan Moisan, and I'm your host on Be and Think in the House of Trust, a podcast aimed at people who move money for good and who are happy to explore what it takes to show up in this space. It's about the human side and the grace we need when we want to dig deeper and have a more genuine, positive impact. My guest today is Bonnie Chu. Bonnie is a serial entrepreneur. She's an advisor and an impact investment specialist. She's focused on challenging systems of inequalities. She's the founder and managing director of the Social Investment Consultancy, a global network of consultants specialized in impact assessment and impact investing strategies. She's also a Forbes senior contributor, writing on gender and diversity in the emerging world. Bonnie believes profits can coexist with purpose, and she wants to see a world where everyone can thrive and flourish, regardless of their ethnicity, gender, age, class, or other forms of difference. So hello, Bonnie. So excited to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me, Servan. So it's it's super super good. I see your um, your CV. I see your post. I see your. I, I follow what you do, and we obviously we've been working together. And you are a global citizen at heart. You've got roots in Hong Kong and Indonesia. You've lived in the United States and Singapore and Pakistan, Denmark, Germany, and you're now in London with your young family. I wonder, how does this systemic view of the world impact the work you do? Well, thank you, Servan. Um, I remember meeting you the first year when I was in London. I was at the Oxford Jam Conference. I already started my social enterprise then, and I was chatting with a guy, and he said, you must talk to Servan because she's all about supporting women like you. Um, so just so grateful that I've been able to meet you so early on in my journey and that we've kept in touch over the years. Um, but to your question on as a global citizen, how that's informed my worldview, it's not, it wasn't conscious back then. You know, life is all about joining the dots after things have happened. And growing up in Hong Kong, so I'm born and raised in Hong Kong, and I was raised by my grandmother, who uh, is fortunately still very healthy, and I miss her every day. Uh, mm. She's in Hong Kong. Uh, but she was born in Indonesia, and she fled Indonesia as a refugee when she was about three because of anti-Chinese protests. Um, so their family, yeah, left everything behind. Uh, they had a small business, like a rice import-export business, but left everything behind and moved to China, because they are Chinese. Um, and then there was the civil war, um, or some call some other chaos. I lost track. And they walked to Hong Kong and settled in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, when, when you were a small child, you know, family members tell you their stories and you roll your eyes, you're like, oh, come on, <laughs> you know. But actually, those stories of her migration, of building a life from nothing, I think really affected me and how I understood that our lives are all subject to wider forces beyond our control. And this understanding of discrimination based on race from a young age, 
you know, it's, I didn't experience it myself directly growing up in Hong Kong, but it was learning from my grandmother how she was discriminated and also learning that because she was the oldest in her family um, and as a girl, you have to, you know, give up education so that you can be kind of a pseudo mother, right, to your siblings. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So I think it's learning about kind of gender and race subconsciously at a very young age. Uh, and another strand to my upbringing is growing up in Hong Kong, which is a very hyper-capitalist society. Uh, when I was five, it was the Asian financial crisis. So it was 1997, and basically all the a lot of Asian economies just crashed. And if you go to Hong Kong, and you know if you talk to older generations like my my parents' generation or above, people who are aware of finance, they they hate on. Um, there's some speculative investors in the West who basically betted against Hong Kong dollars and like just made the economy crash and you know those investors profited a lot. But my the the personal understanding of that was my uh, parents because around four or five you have to go into school right and mm-hmm. so they wanted to buy a flat in a better catchment area so they uh, made the investment in a property and uh, after a year after they bought the flat the pro- property prices crashed so the property was devalued by like two thirds. So that made them in like negative equity and in a lot of mm-hmm. debt. And I was just five, but I did understand the concept of debt. I wouldn't say we were in poverty because, you know, my two parents could still work and they're just struggling. But I think it was a very interesting exposure to the whims of capitalists, to capitalism. And, you know, I remember we, we, we share one breakfast, the three of us, my parents and I. Um, and you know, people usually eat out in Hong Kong, so it doesn't matter whether you're poor or rich. <laughs> but but I think those left an imprint on me in thinking, in just learning about capitalism at a very young age. And those all seep into your subconsciousness. So when I was in school, I was very interested in just helping people because I think that's the value that my grandmother instilled in me that she often reminds me that, you know, we're very lucky. We should always help others who are uh, less fortunate. So I was always very interested in helping people. Mm -hmm. Um, But intellectually, I think I was quite drawn to economics and business. So I, I studied business in university in Hong Kong and it was during my university degree that I just realized business has caused so much of the ills in society, but in a way it can also be a great tool to achieve social change. Mm -hmm. And that's when I learned about social entrepreneurship and my different exposures during university, I got to study abroad, Denmark, that I learned about welfare state. And I got really into understanding whether taxation can help us achieve a more equitable society, wrote a few papers on that. In Denmark, also, I learned again, you know, history repeats itself, right? 1997, the Asian financial crisis, 2008, the global financial crisis. I was studying in Denmark in 2011. So we were studying the economic history of the global financial crisis. So what has caused the financial crisis and Mm -hmm. the European banking system and all that. So I think like learning 
being exposed to just the systemic ills, I think, of capitalism, even though it was just a side story of my study. But being in the in Denmark really helped me, I guess, envision an alternative way of structuring society. And in the US was much more about entrepreneurship and practical things of just starting social enterprises. And it was in the US that I started thinking about uh, the I thinking up an idea that I then had for social enterprise, which then I I launched uh, in 2013. So yeah, that's just a bit of a of a story, I guess, weaving up the different parts of my life. And then other countries I haven't touched up on, but in the end, I did find myself in London because I was attracted to London being this global center for mm-hmm. social entrepreneurship and purposeful business. Wow. It strikes me that from an early age, you were exposed to, well, you mentioned that that chaos, but there is something around the idea that nothing is permanent and everything can go away like that, which which resonates with you. Yes. I think when I think back on kind of my grandmother's story and how my family when I was five, like, those years when we were in financial challenges is indeed nothing nothing is permanent um so i i think i have this concept from early on that let me just live every day to the fullest and that i won't regret anything that i do and then i think is also this sense of um being aware that we are just a mini piece of the puzzle and it's the it's sometimes the systems that will just drown you and bring you down. But then at the same time that as individuals, we do have that power. And I, I think the flip side of our, my story is my family story is that we did bounce back from those challenges. I mm-hmm. mean, even though my grandmother is cannot read and write, but she has a very happy family and her next generation is able to read and write and her next generation, i.e. me, is even able to pursue my dream career, right? Like, I think there's a story of like intergenerational uh, improvement that is quite uplifting uh, because I also know a lot of people, they have similar stories, but they were never able to bounce back because mm-hmm. the system just keeps bringing you down. So I kind, kind of count ourselves as the lucky ones who are able to bounce back and therefore, I feel additional sense of responsibility mm. to make sure that can I shift the system, even if it's just a little bit, so that, yeah, those stories won't happen again. It, it feels like the what you inherit from your grandmother is that vocabulary of, of, of dream guardianship, you know, carrying out the dream, passing on the dream. Not everybody's got the same tools to make the dreams happen, but she passed that on to you. You inherit inherit that guardianship of dreams. So, Bonnie, you, it, there's two things I'm hearing there. There's um, there is chaos. You know that um, not everything is permanent. You bounce back from uh, from incidents of life. Not everybody has the same luck. In some way, the system or parts of the system is designed to keep people down where they are, sadly, and and that's harsh. You founded the Diversity Forum for Inclusive Social Investment, and you also created recently the Pathway Fund, 
that's a new social investment wholesaler, aiming to improve the flow of finance and support to Black and minoritized-led enterprises and entrepreneurs. And I wonder, is that you carrying out that, that you know, being that, that, that guardian of dreams for others that makes you do these things? I think so. I think is it it's more it's more like a servant leader kind of thinking rather yeah, than yeah. than like a savior type of thinking though. I I really find think of myself as very lucky when I came to the UK to do my master knowing no one in mm. the UK and I've just been here for 10 years but I feel I've been able to get so much help from everyone around me, including user van, um, mm-hmm. that I was able to build my dream of um, working in social enterprise and impact investing. But then as I started, so to speak, climbing up the ladder, I recognized that it's not normal, the spaces that I operate in, like the makeup of it is not just a coincidence. The makeup is predominantly white, upper class, male. And that's because privilege Mm -hmm. is so tied up with finance and the flow of capital. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was around like three years in when I started realizing it. And I told you in my grandmother's story, even though I was never in Hong Kong as the majority race, was never discriminated based on race. I was quite alert to racial discrimination. Mm -hmm. And it was really coming here that I became the minoritized race and seeing these issues and and in a way have still a vocabulary to say these out loud and share some of these concerns with some of the fellow travelers. And uh, yeah, with Gemma, um, who's now at the lottery, at the National Lottery Community Fund, uh, who was coming at it from a gender angle, uh, the lack of gender diversity in the social investment sector, that we came together and, yes, yeah, set up the diversity forum. I think I just want to make sure that people don't feel because of their visible characteristics that they're ever held back from doing anything they want. And mm. I think especially the social and impact investment space has this additional duty, right? If we're here for professedly trying to create inclusion, then the way we go about our business should ensure that we are including a wide range of people to work in our sector. And sometimes we can be quite blind to those things. Uh, and it, it it hasn't been easy to raise awareness around people. I think, you know, we started diversity from 2016, 17. Honestly, the makeup of the sector hasn't moved very mm. much. But I think at least the ways that people are investing have moved. And I do think it takes I it takes the next generation of leaders coming up. And I am confident that um, our sector would look very different and would be informed by people with a very different sense of experiences, hopefully more rooted and more proximate to the issues that we're trying to tackle. Mm. Wow. So there's still, it strikes me that even in this sector, there's still a lot of, uh, of behaviors that need to be shepherded to a good death. (laughs) um, 
So Bonnie, I've I've known you for a few years now. It feels like your second names are collaborator and solidarity. Let's put it this way. There is you mentioned that servant leadership. Um, it is something that really, yeah, that's something so appearing in in what you do. And I wonder, you know, solidarity and collaboration, there are there, these are terms that are much talked about, but they're hard to sustain for some people. And I wonder what needs to be demonstrated or um, activated by people in the in the impact investment community to make you know to make collaboration solidarity work for real, in your view. Challenge our assumptions to start. I remember the first class of economics in school. We learned about the concept of scarcity. Excuse so you. So our world has scarce resources. How can we optimize and, you know, carve out our own, our own bits and maximize our own utility, right? So I think so many of us, you know, even if those who haven't studied economics are growing up in a capitalist society and these concepts of scarcity are so ingrained in us that our default is always to compete with each other. Mm. And I think being able to challenge that assumption and to try to unlearn this competitiveness in us and trying to, you know, competitiveness sometimes drives some good behavior, but being able to ask ourselves, are we, are, are our egos in the way and could we actually let go of our egos and collaborate? Would that bring a better outcome. I think it's something that I've really learned also with you, Servan. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you are always there to support other people, um, particularly women. And, you know, being part of women's social finance together with you and you're know, supporting to coordinate that community for like five years of my life. I think I've just learned a lot that if women or if people yeah. really can just let go of themselves, their their own interests, but see themselves as part of a community, like so much beauty and abundance can come out of it. But it's it's quite difficult. I do have to say some days I become my competitive self and, you know, try to elbow other people out of the way. But, you know, it's just because it's so ingrained in us. So it takes so much to unlearn. Uh, but if we can have other people who are also part of trying to unlearn, then maybe we can help each other and remind each other that Ooh, we we wow. have a we can be our best selves. So flexing the muscle from from scarcity to beautiful abundance. Wow. <laughs> that's a nice that's a nice homework. As a last question, Bunny, I've got a future thinking question. You know I love future thinking. And imagine we're in 2033. Um, you're there, right? What yeah. happened recently that keeps making the headlines and that really brings joy for you? Oh, oh. <laughs> well, I, when you just said that, um, the image of Greta popped up in my mind. I think I would like to maybe see news about young people going out to protest against something. Uh-huh. I hope it's not against climate change because we will have to have solve it mm-hmm. by 30, 30, 2033. 
but maybe it's about the ethics of AI or, you know, something that is bothering our young people in 10 years' time. Mm-hmm. And maybe one of the young people protesting will be my daughter, who knows? <laughs> She'll be 14, 15 by then. But yes, I, I think what gives me hope, and I know it's also a lot of, uh, maybe sometimes it's a bit of a cop-out because we put our hope to the next generation after we've screwed up <laughs> things around us and I know it's a lot of pressure on the next generation but indeed that's what gives me hope because um, when I look at my daughter and when I see the curiosity and the joy that she just has of everything I just feel if you could make sure that she's not co-opted by the capitalist uh, system then maybe we do have a different way out. So yes, it, I would like to see protests and young people making things happen. Wonderful. So tell me, what do you need to do or explore with your future activist daughter now so that she can be in the position to be a, a fierce teenager out there on the picket line in, in 10 years' time? I don't know, to be honest. I mean, I um, when I bring her to nursery, already there are gender and racial hierarchies. You know, just who is the ones taking care of her at the nursery and their ethnicity, you know? So I do feel I can't change the system that she's brought into, but maybe I can demonstrate by example um, that I'm trying to live every day by maximizing my own social impact and minimizing my own environmental impact. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the books that we speak to her, that we yeah read to her, I, I really don't know. Uh, I guess what I worry the most is, yeah, when she goes to school and that you're on this competitive treadmill and yeah, maybe it's about bring her to a different kind of school. But mm-hmm. and yeah, so we'll see. And I'm always open to advice from other parents who have gone on that journey as well. Wow, so that's a call. That's a call for action, and it's in a, a sort of um, a, a request for the community to jump in and 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 to share experience and views and ideas. Thank you so much, Bonnie, for sharing this moment and your story with us today. Thank you. Thank you. So everyone, this is it for today. How about we meet again to get uh, the next episode? Subscribe to the show anywhere you can find your favorite podcast. You just have to look for B and think in the house of trust. And hey, leave a review. Share the show with your colleagues, your peers, your friends, your grandmothers who also love to invest in social change if they happen to do so. And especially when they want to ignite a positive impact around them. For more futures and strategic insights and opportunities to think independently for yourself and as yourself, you head to my website, servanmoison.co.uk, and you can sign up for my regular conscious innovation updates. So I look forward to welcoming you back to the House of Trust again. Till then, stay well. Bye-bye.